Hi everyone, welcome back to the Anthony Podcast and today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Jess. Jess is a teacher that used to teach, teach in the UK but now she teaches in Abu Dhabi. So enjoy the episode, thank you for the support and make sure you like and do all that stuff. So thank you very much. Enjoy the episode. I'm good. Thank you so much for inviting me. No worries. I did, I just thought it would be interesting. So yeah, I hope I hope so, and I hope I can answer any of your questions as well. Yeah. So so if we take it from the beginning, what made you want to get into teaching in the first place? Honestly, I didn't, for myself personally, a lot of teachers, they have a, a story of a teacher who inspired them and made them want to get into teaching. I was the opposite. I didn't like school as a child and I didn't like a lot of my teachers as a child either. Um, apologies for the noise in the background. That's my dog. <laughs> um, so w- when I did my year 10 work experience, I did one week of it in a school just out of curiosity and I ended up really really enjoying it and to this day one of the things that attracted me to the job and I still find joy in is the relationships that you get with the students uh, particularly those who have additional needs or have behavior problems um, it's really really rewarding. Yeah. So what what was your what was your teacher training like? Did you find it easier, or did did you find it relatively hard, or how was it for you personally? Teacher training. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, honestly, it was quite hard. I wasn't expecting it to be hard. I went into it quite cocky and quite confident. And uh, whenever we did our placements at university, it was a little bit of a slap in the face. The reality of the school schools it not not in the way of you know they're falling apart or anything negative like that but the challenges that teachers face particularly with you know the modern day poverty that a lot of children are facing things that we're taking for granted um, and how that impacts every single lesson it's not just a matter of pedagogical approaches and different ways to teach children you're really dealing with a lot of social care work from their home lives that are impacting the classroom. Um, and I thought that that was, that really, really was a struggle for me. When you think I started university as an 18 year old to all of a sudden be facing those challenges. Um, and it took its toll, it's quite an emotional profession. Um, and to me, that was the hardest part, but you do, like I say, you build those relationships and you really get to see the progress. Um, so I did learn a lot at university through those experiences. But yeah, it was challenging, but definitely rewarding, which is obviously why I'm still teaching. Yeah. So what? So what? What it sounds like to me, you took you took it a bit, you took it, but you 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 underestimated how hard it was going to be. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so, so why? So what is teacher training like? Like what are the criteria? Is it like managing behaviours or what is it like? Well, um, I'll be honest. I went through university under the what the UCAS system. Um, oh gosh, I couldn't tell you what year it was now. Um, but I was eighteen, and if anyone wants to do the maths, I'm twenty seven now. So we're talking nine years ago when I started. And that makes me feel really old, but uh, it's slightly different now. So I couldn't tell you what the modern day grades are exactly because it's different grading system. But when I was at university, depending on the university, you needed A, B, B around that to get into a teacher training course. And at least for my university, um, which was Newman University in Birmingham, and it's one of the top teacher training universities in the UK, um, it's required a certain amount of volunteering in schools so while I was a teenager doing my A-levels and obviously if you want to get into teaching you don't have to be a student you can change career paths at any point there's a variety of courses at universities and colleges um, that can support that transition but my personal case I had to volunteer while I was at uh, college doing my A-levels 
to gain enough experience to be accepted into the university. Um, and then once you could provide evidence from that, so the head teacher had signed a form, et cetera, to confirm you'd done a certain amount of hours volunteering um, and you got the grades in the, how you would for any university course, um, they also interviewed you as well. And then it was all, it was, I say, a three-step process, but it will depend on the actual course you're doing, the route you're taking, because there's a couple of different routes to get into teaching. But I think I did the bog standard route, the most common one. <laughs> But so when once you were all qualified and is it just the case of applying applying to school like any other job or is it like is there like a is there like a set process that you have to go um, to? once you're qualified and you're applying for your first job. Yeah. So is it just like any other job where you where you apply basically? Uh it's similar. So as you said, you'd have your CV, etc. Schools yeah. often in the UK will advertise jobs through um, tests or the council or newspapers, etc. Um, I applied for a job online, as you would with most jobs. And yeah. then what they would expect you to do is you once you filled in your application, um, you'd be invited for an interview. But obviously, as you're a teacher... It, you, it pretty much usually involves a teaching observation. So you would be invited to come into the school and teach a lesson to a class of children and they'll observe your teaching styles. They'll see if you fit with the ethos of the school. And then they'll also do a normal sit down interview with you. Yeah. Um, in my first teaching job, as well as that, I was asked to complete like a, a little grammar test. It was yeah. where I just had to write a letter and they just checked that my standard of English was to the correct level, basically. Um, it's a little bit different in Abu Dhabi. So uh, would you like to hear about that? Yeah, I, I'll get I'll that I'll, I'll up later, but you can eat now because it makes more sense to it now. So go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's a bit relevant to the point. So in Abu Dhabi... Yeah. Um, and I, I, whether it's something that will change soon, I'm not sure. As they, it's an international community, we have a lot of international applicants. If you wanted to apply to a school there, um, it's it's very unlikely that you'd be asked to provide any kind of evidence of you, like whether you're filming due to safeguarding reasons. You can't really film yourself teaching a lesson with children in the video and then share it. Yeah. So if you were in the UK applying to a job in Abu Dhabi or Dubai or probably any other international location, you'd just have your face-to-face -face interview, um, but they rely a lot more heavily on um, references. Yeah, so, so do, you, do you know when you had your first ever class, yeah? like your first day, yeah? did, you have, did you have any anxiety or was, was you confident? Well, see, I had a little bit of a cheat. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a shortcut cheat. I cheated, basically. So my first qualified class um, was a lovely year one class. And of course, I was nervous because I hadn't actually taught as young as year one before. And I was brand new. But um, during my last um, term of university, um, I spent um, the summer term unqualified teaching part-time in a different primary school and I taught a year four class so they due to maternity cover they needed a part-time teacher and I'd volunteered yeah. at this school before and they invited me to apply for the position so I taught as an unqualified teacher which is something I don't think a lot of people realize you could do so by the time I was fully qualified and I had my first full-time job I'd already had a little bit of experience so I was quite confident I was only nervous about the actual age group which you will yeah. find a lot of teachers no matter how many years they've been teaching for if they've never taught a certain year group before particularly if for example they've always taught key stage two and all of a sudden they're thrown into reception. They they still get very nervous despite their experience. So, so I, I would, I would, I would compare to your first day in, in, in Abu Dhabi teaching. Was it the same or was it obviously different? It was different. It was a real eye-opener, actually. And I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. So 
I'm not a good example to use because I joined in 2020. So COVID had a really big impact on my first day. Abu Dhabi compared to the UK. So just to rewind and give a bit of context, yeah. I was a year one teacher in the UK when COVID happened. And year one was one of the first year groups that reopened in the UK. So I'd gone back to work with my class. Um, and I'd cut, you know, the school reopened and we were trying to return to normal, but Abu Dhabi hadn't reached that point yet. When I came, it was opening for the very first time and they took a different approach. So my first day in the school, despite the differences in the way that the school was gigantic and that there was teachers from all over the world and that the lessons that we taught was different. And in this particular school I was in an American curriculum so it was a completely different curriculum I was teaching from um, all of the students were wearing masks there was very strict social distancing laws in place that were followed um, there was no one who was not wearing a mask it wasn't like in the UK where people said oh I'm not going to wear a mask um, it, and or they, they didn't follow the rules and there was no consequences it's very very strict but that, that wasn't a bad thing. I felt very safe because of that. And the students were so used to social distancing. Like they didn't need to be reminded to put a mask on. They didn't need to be reminded to keep a space between each other. They were so trained and used to it. Um, and then after my first day, my class got taken off of me and I was uh, turned into an online only teacher. And for the first, I'm going to say like, six months at least um I was only teaching students online I never had a, I had a classroom I had a teaching assistant and no children in my class and I was just teaching um on Microsoft Teams for the solid six months uh, that I started I didn't start getting children in until nearly the end of my first year over here but you know you know well, they both have their pros and cons for sure. Um, if you're worried about your own health, for example, yeah. it's definitely a pro because you can still have the interactions with students. Um, uh, and, you know, there was there would be COVID outbreaks in the school as, as there was everywhere. Um, and I was never really too worried because I was so separate from everybody. Um, I know other people who were online teachers who just went insane because you're just sitting there staring at a screen. Um, it, it is less fulfilling because you don't get those little interactions with the students um you know you get those relationships it's a lot harder to build a relationship when you've got 30 children all listening to you on a screen you can only talk to them at so many times you know you're not having lunch time with them you're not having those transition periods between lessons with them you're not giving them little jobs you're not um seeing their little friendships it's it's it is less satisfying in that sense for sure although i would say one pro was that definitely forced me to develop my competency in using technology in the classroom um, because a lot of the things I did with my online students I could then do um, and apply to when they return to school and the school I'm in right now actually has a bring your own device policy where students are required to bring their own iPads and we're constantly being challenged with different ways that we can incorporate technology into the classroom and improve their digital literacy um, and that's something that if I hadn't had the online experience would have been much harder for me than it is right. It's still a challenge, but if I hadn't had all of this time to try out new apps, et cetera, when I was online, um, it would be a lot harder for me now. So that so, was definitely a pro. So, so if you don't want me, what, what sort of age range do you treat at the moment? Uh, the age? Yeah. So um, when I came over here, I was in an American curriculum school and I was teaching grade one, which is the equivalent yeah. of year two in the UK. I'm currently um, 
a year three teacher. So I've gone to um, an English curriculum school now and I'm teaching year three. So that's seven and eight year olds. And I love it. So, so, so when, so when you were doing your virtual classes, yeah, because they were so, because they were so young, yeah, what, I imagine it must have been hard at times to, to get them to fully concentrate on what Oh, it really was. <laughs> it really, really was. Um, because we used an app called Teams to do the lessons, uh, it wasn't something that the school was in 100% control of. So students would be able to start meetings on their own and start meetings with their friends. Um, and the school policy was that this was not allowed because it's technically un unaccompanied children, which you'd never have in a school. They'd always be accompanied by an adult. Um, and whilst they're in their own home, the majority of the time, um, because in the UAE, a lot of children and families have nannies. So the nanny would set the child up. But if you're thinking it's home learning, there's what four, five children in a household. Yeah. There's no way this nanny can be monitoring all the children and all the devices at the same time. So they were getting up to all sorts, sending each other messages, and we had to just constantly monitor. And I remember being at work and I'd hear the little boop boop, which was a notification that a new meeting had started. And I'd be like, oh, because I had to then click on it and say like, Hanadi, leave the meeting. You know you're not allowed to have a meeting on your own. Leave the meeting. But because they opened the meeting, I couldn't remove them from the meeting. And it was just silly little things like that that they'd get up to I remember one child and he, he fair play he absolutely fooled me um I was teaching and I could see my screen and all the children who were listening and one of the boys Saeed was a lovely boy and he was just like frozen on the screen listening and I asked a question and I said oh Saeed like do you know the answer and he just like he was frozen and then his actual face appeared, like panicked, as, um, um, no, I don't, sorry, miss, sorry, miss. And what he'd done was he'd taken a picture of himself, set it as the background, and then left. So it looked like he was present in the lesson and listening when he was actually just off doing something else, and I'd accidentally caught him in the act. And that is just an example of the kind of things I was dealing with. <laughs> but it, it was genuinely funny, and I had to say, well done, because that's a good idea. That-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-that-
quite quite easy for you? I think if anybody was going to make the jump now, it would be a lot easier than what I experienced. The main, the, really the factor that had an impact on me was the COVID-19 rules in the country. Um, it wasn't to do with the culture or anything. I think if anything, you find life, particularly in Abu Dhabi where I live, um, a lot easier um, than the UK, but just because when I joined, there was a lot of rules with COVID. Um, there was a lot of things you couldn't do. For example, there was um, a rule at restaurants. So all the restaurants were open, you could go, but you had to wear your mask all the way there. You, If you wanted to get up and go to the toilet, you had to put your mask on. You could take your mask off when you were sat down, but you could only sit at a table of four. So if you went out as a group of six friends, Four of you could sit together and then two people would have to have a separate table. And that definitely made it harder for me socially and to settle in. There was a lot less clubs open, a lot less activities going on because of the restrictions, etc. So you could do everything. You could live life normally, but there were restrictions. Um, whereas if you was to join today, um, the, the, there's no covid 19 restrictions at all anymore it's gone back to normal so um i think anyone coming here would enjoy it and they'd find it quite easy i don't think there's any major changes so 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 as you mentioned earlier you, you follow you follow the us curriculum so yeah uh, i i did how did that compare to me well, the school that I was in used the Common Core curriculum, which to my understanding is the general curriculum that the US government kind of uses, or at least at the time it would use, and that would enable school districts to get a certain amount of funding off of the government. Um, America obviously is made up of loads of different states. So how they would teach the curriculum is quite different. And they would actually, some of them would have a different curriculum. I know that there's American curriculum schools in Abu Dhabi now that are changing the curriculum that they use. It's still an American curriculum. It's just a different type. So it's quite confusing. So when I came out here um all excited and fresh and ready to learn when i whenever i tried to read up on it i got a lot of conflicting information and i found it really hard to understand but um the school that i was in fortunately had teachers who either were american or had been teaching that curriculum for a while so it was helpful um and what i would say is in some areas um it was more challenging than the English national curriculum but in a lot of other areas it was kind of pitched at a lower level considering I was teaching the equivalent of year two and I'd just come from teaching year one it was about on par um, even though the children were older and one of the things with the um, American curriculum that I struggled with was the teaching of phonics and reading um, it's completely different to how we do it in the UK and as someone who's so I was phonics trained in the UK. I was a year one teacher for two years. Phonics was my life. To go to how um, it was on the Common Core curriculum, how it was supposed to be taught, I found that really hard because it wasn't something that I necessarily believed in um, or saw to be effective. But regardless, you have to teach it the way you're supposed to teach it. This That's what the school is. It's Common Core school. So that was something I found quite hard. <laughs> different I'd say I would say it's very similar um it's just um at different levels so the content's the same but it's pitched at a different um pace yeah so you know you know your life you know everybody that you you're planning to go to Abu Dhabi and be 
Yeah, I mean, I think they have to be, particularly your close friends and family. They can't be saying you're making a big mistake as you're stepping on the plane, etc. Um, I know my mum did not want me to go when I um, said that I was looking to go to Abu Dhabi for obvious reasons. She's a mum. But um, yeah, my parents were very supportive with the move and helping me ship things, etc. And uh, all my friends were very excited because when I said I was going and I got the job, it was in the middle of COVID, you know, I got my job. No, no, it wasn't. I got my job just before COVID was kind of a thing in the UK. I got my job about February time and I think COVID began in March. Um, and that was a, there was a lot of uncertainty. I think a lot of the people I knew didn't think I'd actually be going, myself included. I wasn't sure I'd be able to go because of the flying situation. Um, but yeah, I said most people were supportive. I think a couple of people are like, oh, okay, sure. But the majority of the time they're supportive and particularly the teachers, because if you say to a teacher, I'm going to Abu Dhabi or Dubai, they probably know somebody else who's either had time there or is currently over there. It's quite a common thing for teachers to do. Uh, you know, you know, in the UK, like a lot of a lot of the primary teachers, every single subject is that the same over there, or is it like set teachers for certain subjects? It's the same um over here in the way that I have um a class. And I teach that class for reading, English, writing, maths, yeah. science, moral education. Um, they do have specialist teachers. So the school I'm currently at, they have their own music teacher. They have their own PE teacher. Um, these are things that teachers in the UK would be teaching to their class. Um, additionally, they have an Arabic teacher and an Islamic teacher, both things that I would not be capable of teaching. So I'm their main teacher, but they do have what we call specialist teachers as well. So, so there's something that you said there that I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure about what it is. I can't, I can't remember that word you used. I believe you called it. More, more classes. I can't. I can't remember that wording of colleges. Sorry, what was the context? And I'll try and remember. Uh, you, you go, you go through all your everything that you teach, and I believe you said something like more classes or something. Yeah, moral education. Yeah, sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> yeah. It's very similar to like PSHE um in the uk like how you treat each other uh, like values core yeah. values but it also um includes a little bit of history of the uae because it's quite an interesting country it was only officially a country 53 years ago i'm gonna say um just over 50 years ago it became a country so it's got a very rich and interesting history and that's something that we teach them as well okay. So how how long how long would you say did it take you to get like properly properly into like properly integrated into like the culture and stuff? Well, I, I this is my fourth academic year here, and I will say I'm still learning new things, which is a nice thing. It's nice learning about you can't learn everything about a culture and a community like that it takes years yeah. um but I would say like I felt settled and I felt confident and I kind of knew the ropes probably a couple months in you get used to it you're thrown into it um but I still to this day I'm learning a couple of things uh little bits of additional Arabic <laughs> um and and cultural um like beliefs and how things are done but it's always nice to learn something new and particularly I mainly learn it off of the students so it's really nice learning things from the children so do you know do you know your first couple of days yeah what mm -hmm. what what do you think what would what would you say was your most important importance that you learned from the first couple of days from the from being the teacher over there? 
Um, oh, that's a really tricky question, actually, because I feel like I was just learning so much. I was learning about things like, like getting up in the morning, you have to get up really early. I'm up at 5am every day because the children are in at 7.15. So you're getting up early, you're learning, you've got to go to work. So you're learning how the highways are different, driving's different. You get in at school, the classrooms look different. The schools are gigantic over here. When I joined my first school, it was nine classes in each year group. So you're working in large teams, then the children come in. Um, I'd say I'd say it's very similar to the kind of school day in the UK. It's just got different timings and different lessons, etc. I'm trying to think. There's, there was honestly, it, Anthony. It's hard to an- question answer because there's just so many things <laughs> that were different. It was it's a different country, a different school, different yeah. children. Like you're constantly learning. So, so you you mentioned that the classrooms are different. So. I was a different aspect standpoint, like are the way colourful or is it like very, very exciting, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, again, it depends on the school. The yeah. one that I was in, for example, so I joined in at the end of August. So this is when the UAE's um, temperatures were talking uh, almost 50 degrees, if not 50 degrees Celsius. It's extremely hot. So if you're cold in the classroom because the air conditioning's too high, you open the window to warm up because the heat from outside comes in and warms yeah. you up. So they're air conditioned, often too cold. <laughs> um, when I joined with COVID, a lot of things were stripped clean. There was no soft furnishing, etc. It, it's different now, of course. Um, a lot of classrooms for the younger students in my year threes included and their key stage two have toilets in their classrooms so you're kind of in charge of a toilet as well um and uk classrooms don't often have cockroaches so that's another thing that's a bit different Oh yeah, the kids the kids don't, you know, like in the UK for bee flies into the classroom, the kids go wild. It's exactly the same with a cockroach, except I'm also going wild. So, so how, how long do you think it took you to get used to the climate? I'm still not used to the climate. I'm still not. I mean, at the moment, it's January. It's beautiful weather. It's like 23 degrees. There's a cool breeze. The sun is shining. It's lovely. I can get up in the morning and walk my dog. I can walk my dog at midday and the concrete's not too hot. Like it's beautiful weather. But when you get to those summer months, I don't think anybody can can adjust to that. You, We 100% rely on air conditioning. The bus stops in Abu Dhabi are air conditioned. So I don't think anyone is expected <laughs> to adapt to that kind of heat. I I I I would imagine I would imagine it I would imagine it must be it must be sweltering in in your in your summer period. I would also imagine that it's it's pretty hot all year all year round, isn't it? Well, yeah, it, it's warm all year round. But like when I do break duty, you know, we go outside while the children play. Yeah. Like this time of year, I really enjoy it. It's lovely. It's fresh. It's 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 like a beautiful British summer day. But in the summer months, it, it's really uncomfortable. You get really sweaty, particularly, you know, as a professional in a school setting, you have to make sure you're dressed appropriately. So your shoulders are covered, etc. And um below your knee area is covered as well um so you're not wearing summer dresses or if you're a man you're not wearing a t-shirt and shorts and (laughs) flip-flops so you're not wearing the most comfortable clothes but you are inside most of the time and in the u like in the uk when you have um wet play if it rains and the children don't go outside they stay inside stay dry we have what's called hot play and we get an email from the nurse every morning about the temperature and the air quality and if it's at a certain level the students aren't allowed to play outside and they have to stay inside in the in the nice shaded classrooms so so do you know your do you know your first do you know your first couple of days yeah because 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 obviously it's a, it's a different 
it's a different culture and things like that. Where you, where you can say, where you can say that, where you can say, I don't want to, like doing the wrong thing, like doing the wrong thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and see, I was putting myself. So, um, Obviously, you hear all sorts of horror stories, don't you, about, you know, things that are done um, and what happens, etc. But the reality is it's it's not that strict. You would be surprised that as a woman, for example, you might be worried about going out wearing something. So my first night out, they have a lot of ladies nights in Abu Dhabi where there's either very, very very, very cheap or um, free beverages for ladies certain nights of the week. I remember I went out, I had like all my shoulders covered. I wore a big baggy t-shirt. I wore a really long skirt because I was so worried about dressing inappropriately. And I felt so silly because everybody was out in their nice dresses and heels and they had their legs out and, um, they, and they looked stunning, obviously. Um, it's absolutely fine in most places. Um, obviously, you're going to be respectful and sensitive. You wouldn't walk into a mosque wearing something like that, for example. But you would be surprised at what kind of clothing you wear that actually it, you don't realise is modest. So anything like, like I'm wearing now is absolutely fine. This is normal. But like walking around the streets and going places, I'd also be fine in a strappy top. Um that that was my biggest concern that I wouldn't be modest enough. But it's I now I don't even think twice about what I wear when I go out of the house, etc. Um, and other cultural things, a lot of it just comes back to don't be an idiot. If you're just gonna go around, live your life, be friendly, don't start any fights, you'll you'll be absolutely fine. A lot of people say they come to Abu Dhabi, and I've had people visit and they say, Wow, everyone's so nice, everyone's so friendly. Um there's no crime, et cetera. Um, and because everybody comes and everyone behaves. So as long as you come and you're nice and you're friendly, you have nothing to worry about um, being culturally sensitive. And especially it's quite an international community. Um, Abu Dhabi less so than Dubai. Dubai has much more expats, but in where I live in particular, everyone's an expat. All the, um, all the locals have their children taught by expats <laughs> you're very welcome in the community so um if you if you make a faux pas somebody will just politely tell you oh that's not a very polite thing to do or we don't do that here and then you just don't do it again it's it's quite simple <laughs> yeah <laughs> reasonable is a good word to use yeah it's very reasonable so, so what so do you think do you think do you think sorry do you think being a teacher out there has helped your teaching i imagine it would do to it i i imagine it would do did yeah you know? um, do you mean like improving yeah just, just your overall teaching yeah, definitely. I mean, so in the UK, we have to differentiate lessons. It will usually be, obviously, by the students' abilities. So our, you know, the children who are quicker at grasping challenges and concepts can still be challenged at a higher level. They're not bored. And equally, the children that take a bit more time to understand things, they're supported. But you also differentiate via, obviously, um, educational needs. Um, and I mean, sorry, I mean special educational needs, but also EAL. So EAL students, it stands for English as an additional language. So you're teaching them in English, um, but that's not their first language. So they have a couple more. They might have some obstacles and challenges which you as a teacher want to support them with. Um, and, you know, in the classes I taught in the UK, there'd be two or three of those children, um, obviously in the UAE. Every single child is an EAL child. Very rarely you might have one or two where English is their first language. But my first school um, only accepted Emirati children. So Arabic was their first language of every child. And my current school is an international school. So unless they're British children or American children, um, 
even if they're French or Korean or South African, uh, English isn't going to be their first language. So it, it's usually it's still the case that all your class are EAL children. So we have a lot of training and our school puts a lot of development into the teachers in order to um, put strategies in place to help those children. So going back to the UK, I think I, I you know, is quite an expertise that I've developed now to help those children. So it definitely has. Um, also, having a go at a different curriculum um, kind of gives you a different perspective on the national curriculum that we use in the UK. So, yeah, I definitely say it's improved my teaching. I think some schools, if you go to a school that's brand new, um, they'll be hiring teachers from all over the world with different kinds of experiences. Um, coming from different teaching styles and sometimes they sometimes um, teachers from the UK feel like they're kind of um, not being challenged as much because in the UK it's it's very you know it's very fast-paced there's a lot that's being asked of teachers in the UK and if you're in a school where they're just it's still developing and it's still quite new you might find that you're not getting those same kind of challenges the school I'm at at the moment is um, an international outstanding private school so I'm getting a lot of challenges so it just depends which school you go to but in general I would say that you would definitely if you did a couple years out here you'd definitely go back to the UK with a lot of really valuable experiences orientated uh, is in the UK sometimes or is it completely different yeah I would say it is I think that this is the case of unfortunately every school now it's it's results driven for sure um I don't think that that's the fault of the schools this is me getting political now it's more the governing bodies like how in in the UK for example newspapers they they um like they grade schools they put them on charts this is the number one school in Birmingham the number two school in Birmingham and it's all based on GCSE results and stats results and it's not based on you know progress it, is it the best school in the country if it's only getting children who are high achievers and aren't facing any challenges at home and have private tutors on the weekend does that make them the best school or is the best school really the school that has children who are foster children, children who are refugees, children who aren't speaking much English, children who are having trouble at home? And then they can take them from being underachieving to on target, which which is really the best school, which is doing the most work, you know, Um and then parents as well, if they're, for example, in Abu Dhabi, there's a lot of private schools. They're looking, obviously, as a parent, if you don't know much about education, you're going to look for the school that's got the best results. So that school's going to be the school that makes the most money because it's got the most students coming to it. Uh, where in reality, as a teacher, I would be looking for different things in a school. But yeah, I think just like the UK, um, the outcomes are quite important over here as well. So would you would you recommend would you recommend every teacher to really think about like going teaching abroad? Are the adjuncts adjuncts etc. Like the chat you've you've learned you've learned a lot like different cultures and just just making you a better teacher. So would you recommend for every teacher to really consider going abroad? Yeah, I absolutely would. I think um, we've been talking about the teaching aspect of it. And, you know, for the reasons I previously said, I really I, I would recommend it. Yeah, at least consider it. But equally for your personal and financial um there are personal and financial reasons to consider it as well. If you're, yeah. um, you don't have to be like me who kind of had no ties. A lot of people come to the UAE in particular um, and they'll have houses and then they rent them out while they're gone. And then somebody's paying your mortgage while you're earning tax-free salary. Um, your children will still get um, 
so they can still go to school on the, in the English curriculum. Um, and then you get to go to the pool and the beach on the weekends. And it doesn't cost a lot of money, really. I mean, you can make your fortune here, but you can equally spend all your money here as well. It depends on the type of person you are. But I'd really recommend it to not just teachers, but anybody, if you've got the opportunity to even do a year abroad, I think um, that would really that kind of really shapes the way you look at the world and gives you different experiences. And even if they're not great experiences, it kind of, it, it, you know, it challenges you as a person, which is obviously a positive thing regardless. But, but obviously, if you've already got, if you've already got children and... The cells in the UK school system, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be harder to to just take them around the world. So obviously, it's gonna be easier if you don't if you don't if you don't own children or any kind like that. Look at it, but there's a lot of families over here. I think if you're gonna move anyway, like if you were gonna move house, that would take your children out of their school anyway. Yeah. Um, you've got to think what's best for you because, like I say, children over here is it's so family orientated and they've got so many opportunities and so many lovely things to do with them. I know, I know a lot of parents would love to take their children to the pool because where they live, there's a pool and you don't really get that in the UK, et cetera, or you would just go to a leisure centre, I guess, but you'd be paying for it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, a lot of jobs include schooling and insurance and stuff. So it depends on you and your family, but a lot of people do enjoy and, and they're happy that they've taken their children to the UAE. It's such a safe country for children to be in. They can go outside and play. You don't have to worry about them, et cetera. Hey. So why why is it why is it like with people in wheelchairs over there? Like is it is it better or is it exactly the same as the UK? Well, that's a really good question, actually, because it's it's changed a lot over the years. If you think as a country, um, it's just over fifty years old, comparing it to how old the UK is, it's absolutely phenomenal how modern it is and how um developed it is etc it's a lovely lovely country to be in um however i do think you know from my experiences there are there are cultural um changes that are still happening um so people with disabilities in the uk in the uae um the term is a pod and it stands for person of determination that's just the wording that's used so if someone said to me what are you doing to support your pod children that they're, they're referring to children in my class that have any disabilities. Um, but you will find, you know, nowadays it is um, a lot more supportive of people with disabilities. Um, it's a lot more accepted in the culture as well. Um, from, the, from the school system, obviously I'm not a person with a disability, so I can't speak to anybody of the experience. Um, I can only tell you what I've seen. Um, but as a teacher, children with disabilities in school are, you know, they are they are a priority. Um, inclusion is a really big um, push in the UAE as it is in the UK. Um, you'd argue more so because, for example, I'm in a private school right now um, and they have a whole SEN department, a whole inclusion team, and we meet with them and these are teachers where their job is to support you and to take um, and do intervention groups with children with disabilities, etc. Um, and then equally, the charter call that school that I was from before, um, again, they there's a whole inclusion department. They were called the bridge department, um, and there there's an entire department. Whereas in the UK schools, it, it tends to be a teacher who's already teaching a class is then the head of inclusion, and then they're the senko. Um, and then that's kind of it, really, in like your most kind of UK public schools. But it, it all depends on the individual school. I couldn't comment too much about lifestyle of a person with a disability because I haven't got one. Right. So you mentioned there that at the moment you're working at a, at a private school. So, so, do, so do you know, like between private school and what they... And the public school over there, is it, how, how is it different to what it's like over here? Is it, is it, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good question. There's actually a lot of different types of schools over here. So you have your government schools, which are government funded schools. And these are um, Emirati only. So if you're an expat or you've come from a different country, you wouldn't send your child to these schools. Um, as a teacher, you can teach in these schools. Then um, you have your private schools where a fee is paid. Yeah. However, these are different to private schools in the UK. So private schools in the UK are expensive. Majority of parents can't afford to send their child to a private school. Whereas in the UAE, these are usually um, like paid for by your employer. So if you get a job over here and you've got a family, your contract usually includes a certain amount of schooling. And it will either, depending on where you send your child, because different schools cost different amounts, um, it will pay for your child's tuition. So you're not paying anything um, or you'll have to pay like a little bit extra, et cetera. But it depends on your contract. So whilst they're called private schools, um, well, they're well, not like UK private schools. Um, and then this is where the international children, children of expats would go to. Um, and then you've got in the middle charter schools. So all the companies that own the private schools kind of buy in to the government schools. And they're like a mix. They're in between of private and government. And it gets a bit complicated. It's, 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 uh, it's uh, very complicated to be, to be honest. <laughs> so, but going, like going back on the point, well, okay. When you when you come back to the UK, do you do you find it hard to get back in the single get back in the single UK UK lifestyle to a degree? Not really, because whenever I come home, I'm coming home for a holiday. Really, so um, I come home every Christmas because we get just under or around three weeks for winter break. And I come home every summer um, and it, I, I go back with my parents. I don't have a house in the UK that's empty. Most people don't. So I go back to my parents. I don't have to work. So I really enjoy coming home. I've still got a car in the UK. Um, so it, it's really easy to get used to. I just have to make sure, you know, when I drive, the biggest difference is over here. I drive an automatic car and obviously then I've got to get back into using gears in the UK and the roads are very different because over here they're really wide and they're just straight and flat and then in the UK there's hills and curves in the road and everything but honestly the driving is the biggest difference for me when you come home you see your friends again your family again but you know the culture is pretty much the same etc I just get to relax when I'm at home and have fun now which is really nice what? What what I meant was because in the in the UK a lot of the time people can be very very com com combative and it can be very it can be very argumentative at times and as you said earlier everybody's relatively polite over there so that, that so that's what I meant really yeah but I don't want to be insulting too much to to where I come from <laughs> no definitely like you know you come back and sometimes you're like Ooh. I remember um the one time I came home and I went like out with my nan I won't say where because I don't want to offend anybody and I I had like <laughs> messy hair I hadn't put any makeup on I was just wearing like a tracksuit like not didn't look very nice and I was walking around I was looking at everybody and I was like wow and then I looked at myself in a reflection and I was like I look so good like I've got I've brushed, like I've got all my teeth I look really healthy and when you go to certain areas you're like wow this is a bit rough isn't it like it's a bit downhill you know you you notice litter on the street and graffiti that's not really a thing that that happens over here um you do notice it but you just kind of go oh well <laughs> I got more questions and then we and then I'll and then I'll let you go. So, so I because of, because of the reputation that because of the reputation that exists here. So do you know when you go back home here? I I I do people judge you, do people judge you for where 
for working over there? Uh, not to my face. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people think I have an easy ride. I mean, like teachers, teacher friends probably think I have it really easy over here. One one reason, I'll be honest, is that we work uh, four and a half days. We have a half day on a Friday because that is um, like the holy day um, in Islam. And it, it means that they they finish work early so that they can go and pray. Um previously it used to be five days but it would be sunday to thursday so that they would have the friday as the weekend like christians have the sunday as the weekend and that would be the day you go to church etc but they changed it because obviously they were missing out the, the, the globally the work week is monday to friday so they had to change the work week to monday to friday but to still you know be culturally sensitive they had a half down a friday and honestly, the thought of going back to working a full day on a Friday is horrifying to me. I need that half day Friday. Um, so that makes it sound like I barely do any work, especially if you're a teacher in Sharjah, which is the Emirate next to Dubai. They do four days a week. They have the Friday completely off and they have a three day weekend. But it doesn't mean that when you're in, you're not working hard. You're still working very hard. Um, arguably, you're working longer hours because the students are in at 7.15 and they leave at 3.45. I mean, the end of the school day is technically 3.45, but you do after school clubs as well. And those tend to go on until 4, 4.10. Um, and then you also don't get a lunch break. You have to stay with your students while they eat. You do get Arabic um, when they have the Arabic lessons four times a week. You get that period free. But you're usually, if you're me, you're meeting you're having meetings in those times anyway. So um, it is hard work. I think a lot of people, um, particularly teachers in the UK, think it's really easy over here, but that's not necessarily true. Um, everybody else, I, I have not said anything to me that's judging. <laughs> so, so do, you know, do you know when you're doing after school clubs, yeah. what are they like? Are they like Homework based on like activity based, like sport and stuff like that. What? Yeah, so my, my current school, they're called ECAs, which stands for Extracurricular Activities, and we run absolutely loads. <laughs> they're, um, they're based on um, like our different school values, etc., and the things we want to be pushing. So there's a variety of sports they do, you know, football, cricket, rugby, all of those things, dance, etc. Um, but they also do like technology, they have cyber coders. They have a Minecraft education clubs. They're, just, they're supposed to be fun for the children, but they can also be educational. They have Arabic and Islamic clubs. They have um, performing arts, uh, art clubs, Lego clubs. I'm trying to think because uh, so I'm ahead of year. I'm ahead of year three. So I don't run an ECA, but if a staff member is absent, I will cover the club. So I'm trying to think of all the clubs I've done. We've done science um creative writing because it's a, such a gigantic school so the school I'm in right now is from FS1 to all the way up to A levels I'm year three in year three there are 11 classes so there's 11 year three teachers so you, you can imagine throughout the school there are loads of teachers so that means that we are lucky enough to be able to offer loads of um after school opportunities for the children because it's only one once a week for the teacher but then we're running loads and loads of clubs for the children to choose which is super so 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 so, do you, do you, so what do you what do your students refer to you as do they do they call do they call miss and then you turn you turn that in or do they have the sweet name, name for the teacher that I refer to you by. Yeah. They'll still call me Miss Yates. Um, it's, it's, in the UK, everything is your surname, whereas over here, like my classroom label is my full name. So when you join the school, you have to provide like all of your, your visa and your passport. So obviously my full name is there. So my classroom door is my full name and parents will often call me Miss Jess because my email is my full name etc but the students just like the UK will call me Miss Yates they'll know my name but unlike the UK they don't get all like giggly over it they just call me Miss Yates because to me that's their name 
my name. To be honest, I would love it if people call me my mother. Pleasure. You've asked some really interesting questions and it's it's nice to kind of reflect on it as well and my time here. And when you were asking me about how I felt when I first came into the classroom. It seems so long ago now um, and so silly that I was worried, etc. <laughs> but yeah, thank you. I've, in, I've enjoyed speaking to you again, Anthony. It's lovely to see you. And you. So thank you for watching everyone. And I will speak to you soon. Bye-bye.